This is the SFF Audio Podcast. This is Jesse. And this is Scott. And this is Brian Murphy. Hello, Brian. Hello, Jesse. Hey. <laughs> How's it going today? All right. Yeah, very well. Excellent. Thanks for having me back on the program. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for yeah. being here. Hey, I've got some uh, recent arrivals here. Um, let's just zip through those real fast, Sounds if you don't good. mind. Um, from Penguin Audio, they're they're continuing their re-releases or reissues of uh, Stephen King audiobooks. Um, so they sent us four of them. Um, what we got wow. today is uh, Desperation, The Regulators, Thinner, and Rose Matter. Um, well, I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was um, fantastic. Um, I'm really, really happy that they are not re-recording these because uh, some of these are, you know, when I was getting into audiobooks in the first place, um, are ones that I've, I've listened to. So, um, yeah, Thinner is... Uh, Joe Montaigne reads Thinner. Mm -hmm. Unabridged? Uh, Thinner, I believe, is unabridged. His, cool. his are always unabridged. The only two that um, aren't that I know of are The Desperation and The Regulators. Which, but didn't um, you just were, mention those? I did. Um, oh. They were both they were both released at the same time. I think we've talked about those before. Um, but you're saying it's good they're, una they're abridged? No, I'm not saying that it's good. I'm, I'm just... Uh, they are excellent abridgments. I know that. Okay. <laughs> it's, well, well, they're not good. They're that's, excellent. That's, that's a good. That's a good point. Um, but um, they're they're really extremely good. I'm not sure. Well, okay. he he agreed to um, allow those to be abridged because they were so long and they were both being released at the same time. But I think those are his only two abridgments, and they're very long. Um, Desperation is eight hours long. Joe Mantegna is an excellent reader. Yeah, but Thinner's unabridged. Rose Matter is a really nice audiobook too. It's read by um, Stephen King and Blair Brown. Oh, nice. Yeah, Kathy Bates reads Desperation, and Kate. Oh, Nelligan, that's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. And Kate Nelligan reads um, The Regulators. We talked about her before. Mm-hmm. It's funny that Thinner was back in the Rich, Richard Bachman days, and I yeah. believe was Desperation also. Um, well, no, uh, the regulators. See, uh, Thinner was the book that um, he released as Richard Bachman that um, that reporter figured out who it was. That's so, right. So the Thinner hardcover comes out, and it says Richard Bachman on it, but the paperback said Stephen King, I think. Stephen King writing as Richard Bachman. And then um, Misery was also going to be another Richard Bachman book, but it was released as by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. so, and then he was playing with it, and then when The Regulators came out, that was years later, I can't remember how many years, but he released uh, Desperation and The Regulators were released on the same day, and Desperation was by Stephen King, and Regulators was by Richard Bachman, and they both had the same cast in it. <laughs> you call that? Yeah, I remember. I, yeah, that that, that does sound familiar now. Yeah. Right. So, I wonder how he did with the sales of Thinner back when he was Richard Bachman. I'm sure it's online somewhere. Whether that affected his uh, the sales for his book. 
before they before before they caught on. Because I, I believe there was a brief period where, you know, while that reporter was doing some investigating, that the book was out there. Is, is that? Yeah, I think yeah. that. I think you're right. Yeah, and the yeah. book was out there because the, the copy that I had, I, I don't know where it went. <laughs> used to have it. Anyway, it said Richard Bachman on it, and it didn't say anything about Stephen King. It even had a fake author photograph on it. <laughs> and, uh, yep, but, uh, so, yeah, and then it became a huge bestseller once they figured out it was Stephen King. Yep. You know uh, how, I, maybe we discussed this before, you know how uh, that pseudonym came up, the Richard Bachman? No, I don't. Oh, uh, um, he stole it. Uh, he stole it from Richard Stark, um, Donald Westlake's. Uh -huh. He called up uh, Donald Westlake and said, "I'd like to steal the first half of uh, Richard Stark from you for a new pseudonym I need." <laughs> uh -huh. and, and he said, "Oh, okay, cool." And then a, a bunch of years later, he was writing a book called The Dark Half. And he, and he called up Westlake again, and he says, I'd like to steal the second half of your, your pseudonym for a character I'm writing. Oh, well. Um, and the name, of the, the name of the author in, um, in the, the dark half is Stark. So, oh, there you go. There you go. You bet. I don't know where the Bachman came from, but... Uh -huh. Oh, oh, no, I do know, actually. He said that uh, he was listening to a lot of BTO at the time. <laughs> Bachman-Turner mm -hmm. Drive. <laughs> so Richard Richard Bachman from that. Right. And then uh George Stark was the other uh name. I'm not sure where I I remember reading that cuz I'm not as big a Stephen King fan as you guys are, but must have been something something Westlake. Mhm. Mm gotcha. All right, we only have one other thing that came in. Okay. Chapter House Dune. The, uh, uh, number six in number the series. Number six in the series uh, of Frank Herbert's originals. This is from mm. Macmillan Audio, um, and it's read by uh, a full cast. Now I'm listening to Dune right now. The the um, you know, and we've we've talked about Dune, so I don't know how much time we want to talk about it, but um, it's really 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 good how they've done <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm really oh, this, impressed. The um the multicast reading. Right? Yeah, it's a multicast reading. And there are absolutely no attributives at all, which is neat. Um, yeah, that's um, taking a page from full cast audio. Full cast audio for sure. Yeah. So. What um, do you mean? What, what, what do you mean by that, Scott? Uh, do, what I mean is, uh, when you do a multicast reading, um, you know there are different ways to do a multicast reading, but the the way that this one is done is there's an actor for each character. So um, the narrator reads along, and then when uh, they, it's the character's turn to speak, um, an actor says those lines. And they are, aren't just reading them, they are acting them as if they are those characters, right? Well, wow. the problem with those is in an unabridged recording, you say, um, I'm so mad! And then the narrator <laughs> comes in and says, he said angrily. <laughs> you know? So, you yeah... They finally figured out that, hey, you don't want to do that. So they let the actor take care of the emotions, and then they've left all the attributives out, even even the he says and she says. So, you know, he says, I'm so mad. And then the other character says, well, why are you so mad? Instead of, uh, you know, putting he said and she said after each one. Because the character... Be kind of humorous. Yeah, the character can't say those things. So the narrative I find that, that that's not so bad um, mm -hmm. if, if it's... Uh, 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 one actor doing it, you know, mm -hmm. like 
I've been listening to the the series read by who's the guy who did Star Wars Forever? We were just talking about him. Who did the Star Wars what? The Star Wars audiobooks? Um, Jonathan Davis? Jonathan Davis, yeah. Uh-huh. Jonathan Davis is it, it does a lot like he gives every character a voice. Right. A distinctive voice. And I just I'm noticing I, I just after thinking about that, the Mike Resnick gives does uh, never uses said he's he's always giving uh details on how they feel mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. and davis makes it transparent he almost makes it you know so you don't even notice that he's saying uh he said angrily right now he he does say those things though right he does say them it's mm-hmm. just you don't notice it because uh you're concentrating on his performance yeah. and mm. those things are there but they're sort of uh, de-emphasized. Right. Yeah, and I don't mind that. I, I think that they should say those things um, if it's a single narrator. Um, but when you're doing a full when you're doing a full cast of actors and they're doing a dramatic reading, um, they they really stand out, and it's it just, can it's laughable it can sometimes. stand out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's an exception when um, you know you've got two people reading the you know one sentence. Um, there was a series. Of uh, audiobooks by uh, Book of the Road, which, which always used two narrators, one male, one female. Mm-hmm. So uh, all the male lines would be read by the male actor, and all the female lines would be read by the female actor. But if the male actor was the narrator of the story, in the sense that the, it was the main character, if he's telling the story, um, it might be uh, she walked into the room and said, and then you would hear the woman speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The rest of the line, and in that case, it it was never bad, mm-hmm. even though it is giving attributives, um, because it's from the character's point of view. Yeah. It, but if it was uh, whoever was the dominant narrator, you know, whoever was telling the story more, would be the one doing the attributives, and I thought it was perfect, it worked just fine. Mm-hmm. But there are some terrible examples of of. Uh, full cast performance with uh, what you're saying, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's also um, some sound in the background. And, and I know yeah, that kind of scared me. Yeah, and it's it's extremely well done. Um, I'm also not a fan of that generally. Um, you know, if you're if you're out there making audiobooks, um, don't put sound and stuff behind it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you... There are two exceptions that come to mind, you know, and this now is one of them. Um, this Dune audiobook is really extremely well done, and I, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to anybody. But the um, the other one that really leaps to mind is uh, Elric of Melnibony um, by Michael Moorcock, done by Audio Realms. Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. That's pretty much got a soundtrack in the back of it, um, just as if wow. it was a movie. And normally, I would say, "Gosh, you got to stay away from that because it's extremely annoying, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But um, Elric of Melnibony is just a fantastic audiobook. Um, uh, really, a lot of attention was paid to the the music and stuff, and the music is um, enhancing the emotion. It's not like random music. Um, I'd be interested to see how they, they, they voice the character of Elric because okay. he's such a distinctive character. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear who does the, the work on that. Okay. And 
Is it a deep-voiced individual, or a, I, I'm not even sure how I'm um, hard to picture. Yeah, it, it was a, it was not it was not a multi-voice recording. It was a single narrator. Um, I don't recall off the top of my head who that narrator was. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, let's talk after. Maybe I'll zip that up to you. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but extremely good audiobook. Extremely, extremely good. Even though I think that might have been one of the first reviews we put up on the website. Um, a long yeah, time ago. It was early. In fact, I have the, that review in the hopper again because I wanted to give it an essential and republish the review and throw an essential. I'd like to it. see it, yeah. Okay. You bet. Sounds good. Um, and that's it for the recent arrivals. Some Stephen okay. King, some Frank Herbert. Oh, I got I got one more recent arrival. I got that uh, that poster with um, Neil Gaiman's signature on it. That oh, yeah. Cool. That's good stuff. A poster with Neil Gaiman's signature? Yeah. Um, uh, I took some pictures of uh, uh, my students reading the Graveyard Book to uh, do some follow some promotion. They were giving away stuff with uh, on the Neil Gaiman blog or an associated blog, and um, finally came in the mail. And so I'm showing the kids, and I said, "Hey, look! Look what came!" And they're like, "Cool! How much is it worth?" <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, well, I actually did look it up, and it is worth 140 bucks or whatever. Um, well, that's wow, what, that's great. that's what it is on ABE. There's only one copy. A books has a uh, signed copy of the poster for 140 bucks. They're like, sell it, sell it, sell it. <laughs> they want me to, you know, give them the money. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's Neil Gaiman. You can't sell. Well, um, the the thing is, is I was. Uh, when we were getting the books, they're like, I'd seen how they treated books before. Kids are really hard on books, and so I'm telling them, you know, treat it with with respect, treat it like it's valuable and it holds its value. You could, you know, if you had to, you could sell it after, and you know, then you'd have something rather than just tearing it up like most kids, you know, get it all grubby, get food in it, fold the pages any way they want. And I'm like, don't do that. You're ruining the book. But um, I, maybe it went a little too far <laughs> because now they want to sell They want to sell everything. <laughs> hey, the, the, the books, the books that you bought up in Canada, did they have um, the that blue cover with the gravestone on it, or the British cover with a kind of cartoon on it? Uh, the gravestone one, yeah. The... Okay. How does that work in Canada? You get half your books from the United States and half from uh, Britain. Um, uh, you were thinking like along the Harry Potter lines. Yeah, I remember um, uh, the Harry Potters you guys had were the English versions. Yeah. Um. Well, actually, they weren't. They were not. Uh, there's oh. a Canadian publisher called uh, Raincoast Books. Uh -huh. Raincoast Books had the the imprint before, I guess, or had the rights, the Canadian rights before. Um, Harry Potter was super hot, mm -hmm. and so that tiny little book publisher in Canada became a huge, huge deal and uh, made a lot of money. Good for them. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, and basically, they just reprinted the the UK edition, but um, for all all the all six books or whatever, seven books in the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, generally, though, uh, there are cases where there are Canadian 
versions and American versions. It depends. I mean, we get we actually get more books than you, which is kind of cool because there's a lot of Canadian book publishers. Mm-hmm. So uh, theoretically, they're selling into the states as well. But for the most part, it's like there's Canadian DVDs that uh, don't go down there. Right. right? Yeah. Um, there's uh, Warner Brothers Canada, um, and that they might have a couple of titles every month or so that are not available in the states just because nobody down there would care um i i assume that that there's a similar number of canadian books mostly i mean a lot of them are going to be non-fiction but yeah there's, mm-hmm. so there's when, when you go into a better bookstore, selection here when you go into a bookstore it's not full of british versions of not generally i mean we don't get uh uh as many uh UK books as they do in the UK uh-huh. uh, because there's Canadian rights, there's UK rights, there's North American rights, worldwide rights. Book publishing has got all sorts of rule. It's actually a little less organized than you know DVD distribution where they've got Region One, Region Five, Region Two, Region Seven, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious because of that Harry Potter book that I got. Yeah. From you, well, um, they've got a different uh, illustrator for that for the light blue cover. Um, the UK edition doesn't have um, uh, Dave McKean, which I think is interesting because Dave McKean's uh, basically Neil Gaiman's artist. Yeah, yeah. And in the UK, they've got somebody named Chris Riddell, who I've never heard of. Um, yeah, it is a but, nice cover, you know. Um, yeah, yeah but, both those uh, covers uh, for our listeners, you can see them both on sffaudio.com. <laughs> Yeah, uh, from earlier this week. Great website. <laughs> yeah, not bad. I think they probably know about this website, given that they're listening to the podcast. <laughs> possible they don't. It's a good idea to remind them. Speaking of uh, nice art, I know I was looking at the the two Blackstone ones that came out this week, Old Magic oh, and yeah. Dreams. Yeah, what? we talked. You were telling last me week. about them on the last last podcast, but you yeah. didn't say how awesome the cover art is. Yeah, it is pretty. Yeah. Ah, it's amazing. I I. I assume that's the original art rather than Blackstone's uh, re- redoing of it? Boy, I, that's really, the original I really don't know the answer to that. Because if it isn't, those are the most uh, expensive uh, painted covers I've ever seen huh. for uh, an audiobook. Yeah, the two books in question are Dreams Underfoot by Charles DeLint and mm-hmm. Odd Magic by Patricia A. McKillop. They're just hmm. stunning art. And they, yeah, they and they're, they're posted also on the website. Well They've, fit squared up and all that i'll admit that i've i've purchased books before based on cover art alone in my younger days <laughs> and i was just trying to discover new authors you, you it i have to believe it does impact sales of a book absolutely i agree, I agree with you absolutely yeah the, the 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 big ones being those um the lancer conan books that were out in the 60s sure. uh, that had um Frank Frazetta do the illustrations of the covers, and they were amazing. And 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 it's pretty much regarded that they really pushed those sales through the roof. Absolutely. And they're still, I mean, those pictures are still iconic today. They're amazing, amazing artwork. People visit uh, websites based on the art that's on there, or um, you know, in the podcast directory of iTunes, you see people with no art, and you say, "Well, that one's probably not very good because it doesn't have any art." They didn't bother putting it in. Yep. It it does affect everything. I mean, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't necessarily determine the ultimate value, but it certainly affects the uh, gatekeeping. Who's coming in? And 
how many are coming. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was funny a... back in the pre. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say back in the pre in the pre-internet days, it was harder sometimes to find information about new authors. So nowadays, if you want to, you know, determine if you want to read a book, you just go on and go to Amazon and look at the reviews, or go to sffaudio.com and look at reviews. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, I, I, I recall just going into bookstores and browsing, and occasionally, if a book had a great cover, I'd say, hey, maybe you know they, they spent the time and money to put a good cover on it, maybe I'll give it a try. Yeah, uh, and it looks it's good, and it probably looks a little different nowadays. Yeah. Sure. Great. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was at a friend's house um, just this week, and uh, he was rereading uh, Tolkien, and... The, the copies of the paperbacks that he had were those white ones. Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about? The white ones with the... I, I don't know if they were the... Um, who did Oh, this? I think those were the... Maybe the Valentine... Yeah, they were the oh, Valentine oh, were they the... ones, and they were all white, yep. and they had the the kind of... Uh, it wasn't really a black and white painting on the front. Um, but yeah, I, I picked them up in Oud and Odd, because I hadn't seen that version for so long, but that's the first one I ever remember seeing. But the, when I read The Lord of the Rings the first time, I, the ones I read it in, um, each copy of the paperback was a different color, and it had a Daryl Sweet painting on it. Yeah. Do you guys remember those? I, mm. I think so. I think Return of the King sure. was red, and The yeah. Two Towers was green, and, yeah, and Fellowship the Hobbit, was... The Hobbit was gold. You know, I, have, I, have those, I have those copies myself. I purchased uh -huh. a couple other editions since then, but that was the one I started with. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's amazing, you know, as I get older, I'm 40, and, uh, you know, when you see the cover of a book that I read as a kid, um, you know, I, I see the same book at the bookstore usually, but, it, you know, the cover really elicits a response to me. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you were buying some old ERB uh, stuff. Based, yeah, yeah. Based on the fact that you had owned it previously. I did. I bought uh, Tar Tarzan one and two. I haven't read them yet, darn it. I always have uh, plans to read. Wait, I buy too many. I buy quicker than I read. Let me say that. Yeah. But uh, that's because we, we got lots of audio in too. So sometimes it's hard hey, to keep I... up. <laughs> yeah. If I can plug another site for a minute, there's a site called Blackgate, which is fantasy uh, fiction. I, guess they, I think they published their own magazine, but they've had some blog posts recently about speed reading and how to get up to speed on uh, and how to read more books over the course of a year. And It's pretty interesting because I, I, I'm the same way. I, I buy more than I read. I'm not a particularly fast reader and I wish I was faster and they, they, they offer some techniques on speed reading and I think how it came up was someone who was a, it might have been the New York Times book reviewer I'm not sure if that was her or not, but she claimed to have read 380 books in a year or something. I mean, oh, wow. it was it was ridiculous. <laughs> I don't 380? Know how yeah. Oh, if you're a book reviewer for a living, that's actually possible. Um, if you're reading, you know, short books, it's not going to be impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess if you um, had eight hours a day in which to do it as well. Yeah. That's Jesse's dream dream job. I know is to be a full time <laughs> reviewer. Well, it is and it isn't. You know, the thing is, is um. If you uh, if you make your hobby your job, uh, you're gonna like your hobby less. If you know, if I only could, if I can only talk about one thing forever, uh, I'm gonna be less interested in that thing. Yeah, More like punishment. Hmm. 
I, that, that's why when you know Scott says I'm going to make a list and I'm going to stick to it about what I'm going to read, I'm thinking, well, that might be a little, you know, confining. You might say, why am I reading this? And I don't like it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, cross well, off. I, I, I always reserve the right to do that. But yeah, th- this <laughs> week I had a, I had a moment where I had to basically clear the palate, <laughs> throw everything out, you know, because I was like, you know, I'm I'm halfway into like four different audiobooks and. And another one will come in, and I'll say, oh, that looks interesting, and I'll start that one. Anyway, I just kind of wiped the slate clean, and I made a little list, and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do in this order uh, for the next little while. You know, it's the only way I can keep my sanity. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I'm just reading that post. It says, Confessions of a Speed Reading Instructor. Uh, and it says, <laughs> it says Bill, Bill Ward recently posted two articles on hyperspeed reading. The first uh, reaction to a columnist Sarah Weinman's claim of reading 462 books in a year. All right, I, I, under, I underestimated it. <laughs> yeah. And the second, taking a wow. deeper look into the reading speed, it uh, says, I'm no slouch when it comes to the amount of books I read in a year. I finished 81 in 2008, but that makes me positively lazy and incompetent compared to Weinman's mid-fourth century's claim. Huh. I don't know how that's possible, but... Um, reading, uh, you know, you call each comic book a <laughs> book, I don't know. Wow. Uh, she's reading children's books that are only like, you know, seven pages long, maybe. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on, depends on the books, right? It's, you yeah, know, if you're, if you're going for a record. Take a very liberal definition of a book. Well, mm. no, a comic book is a book, it's just. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I actually have been thinking about, you know, when I post a story about a short story uh, as an audiobook, is it an audiobook if it's just one story? Uh, I guess mm-hmm. so. I mean, it's not it's not a physical copy of a book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I would say it is. So uh, a single story released on some website is an audiobook. Yeah, well, like um... by that definition, <coughs> I've listened to many many audiobooks this year. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would say you know Infinivox. Those are audiobooks. Yeah, they Same are story. audiobooks. It's just, but it's one CD, right? Yeah, it's yeah. one one story. Then it's an audiobook. Well, sure. I guess. And by that definition, I've listened to many more books I, than I have. You know, uh, but Librivox will will release a ten, uh, ten audiobooks in a set. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could call those each one audiobook or the entire thing an audiobook. I mean, yeah. It depends on how you're counting. <laughs> That's for sure. All right, Jesse, I want to see you set a, rec- a, a world record for most audiobooks in one year. Uh, I don't know what I, it is right if now. You <laughs> count, if you count, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I'll try. It's actually pretty easy. Just go and look at how many posts I have Yeah. yeah. On, yeah. on the website. Uh, how many is? How many posts have we got total, Scott? You, oh, uh, boy. I think I, there's 4,000 posts or something for the blog right now mm-hmm. total five years uh, yeah. but most of those aren't you know book reviews Less yeah than I don't I don't have that number in front of me but um, yeah I remember you giving a, giving me those numbers years ago yeah, or yeah. last year or something. So we've done this many reviews and it, it was yeah it was really impressive yeah <laughs> yeah it was I think it's up to a couple hundred by now oh at least yeah at least so good stuff got to enjoy that yep so what else have you been reading or uh, uh, listening to Brian uh, let's see 
Well, over at, at uh, my website, I've been I've been um, kind of enjoying going back through some books that I've previously read and, and some that I'm reading now. But I'm I'm, com I'm compiling a list of my uh, top ten favorite fantasy battles of all time. <laughs> yeah, I've been following that. That's been neat. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I did, as I made my I mentioned one of the posts. I read these for a lot of reasons. I you know I, I read them for. The, the story, the adventure, and for their, sometimes for their literary qualities, but also because I just like the good fight scene in a book. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of going through that right now. And I'll, I'll spoil the next one, but I'll just say I'm writing a post right now on a, a couple scenes from the Iliad, which I've, I've listened to on audiobook, uh, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I think people, a lot of people think that this particular book, I think a lot of fantasy and science fiction fans might stay away from it because it's considered one of those classics that's uh, taught in the classroom and boring to read outside of it, but it's actually a, it's really a, a terrific listen. Uh, which which George... version are you talking, uh, there's like a thousand different versions of uh, the Iliad translated, uh, which audiobook version are you thinking of? Yeah, this particular one is uh, Robert Fitzgerald. That's and, uh, 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 recorded books? Yep, recorded books, and it was George Woodall, George Woodall who uh, narrates it. He's wow, you you are uh, you are an impressive reader, man. I I really like that one, but I found it very dense. It was oh it was, really? It was really hard, and uh, like listening to it, you can't listen to it in short bursts because uh, I really enjoyed it. But it's like it's poetry. It's, it's yeah. one giant extended poem, and mm -hmm. it's basically long lists of. You know, I, I remember li when I was listening to it, I was thinking, this is basically long lists of of hometowns, hometown heroes being re re recited. You know, um, oh, you're in this town, uh, you're in uh, the this uh, um, Greek uh, Greek city. Well, let me tell you about the heroes from this town that are in this battle. <laughs> and well, then he had up 15 guys, uh, you know, who were all described as you know what he was powerful. Like they're all like it was like. Legion of Superheroes, basically. There is a there is a section early on. I think it might be disc two or three. Is it's a fourteen disc set, and uh, he the narrative Homer describes just all the Achaean ships that land and every right. person that's on it and where they were from. And it it it, it is a little jarring and it's a little bit. Hey, I'll admit it. It's kind of boring to listen to. Um, but once you get past that, the story, the action really takes off. And I, I, I don't I, say I, it's boring. I, it's just yeah. hard. It's it's hard to comprehend. How how different it is from regular books. I, I you do have to get into it, but um, well, it's very different. Yeah, it's it's it feels more like the uh, I was going to say Homer Homeric epic, but it feels more like the Norse uh, style of storytelling. You know, uh, long yeah, it's it's not bragging so much as um, uh, showing off. Plus, the, the, that poem was used, as a, a lot of the old poems were, as a way to com, uh, convey information. So sure. these were expected to be memorized and read aloud, so it was a kind of a way of remembering all of these names and heroes and, yeah, and, uh, it's a and style various of, places. Uh, I, I think there was a documentary on how, how they learned to memorize these things is by doing, you know, pairing everything so that you could never forget it if you if you pair it all up so that everything is symmetrical, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the 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 tall ships with this number of men, this this thing with that thing, and this um, uh, color with that color. 
and it would yeah, all supposedly be, supposedly be some of these guys could recite the entire poem aloud. I I, I find that hard to believe, but uh, I'm I'm thinking it's possible after. Uh, I'm sure it's possible. Seeing there's uh there's still people who do it. Um, I I don't know. I must have watched a documentary or heard a documentary on on the people who do still do this. There's some in Ireland who who can do the Irish uh, poems that aren't quite as long, and there's uh, some guys in Turkey who still do it. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not as popular as books now, but uh, that's how people used to get their entertainment. Yep. So that's one of the ones I'm, I'm listening to now. and uh, wow. we got to get a post review up on, that on that. All right. <laughs> I'll have a post up on that shortly, actually. I don't think we can pay you three cents a word, but we'll... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You'll you'll have three cents worth of admiration from me for every line you write. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what else? Let's see. On your uh, on your top fantasy battles, um, I noticed uh, that you had a Bernard Cornwell. Oh yeah. Um, I just did a quick look. He they are available on audio, and he's an author that I've always wanted to try. So what would you recommend if? Uh, if I was going to read a Cornwell, what what book would you recommend? I would recommend he did a, a three part a three book series on the King Arthur myth called the uh, the Warlord trilogy. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I would that is probably still my favorite. He's currently in the middle of a series right now called the Saxon Stories, which is historic fantasy, which is about the um, the, uh, the Danish raids into Britain and um, that's currently, I think he's four books into that right now. So you're so, saying, you know, it's about the Danish raids into Britain, but it is fantasy. Yeah. It's not. Uh, well, no, that's see, it's it it's it's historic. Um, and I actually, I kind of mentioned that in my first post about fantasy battles because these are obviously actual events from history. But the way I looked at it was they're so had to be so heavily reimagined. I mean, who who really knows exactly what happened in in 700 A.D. Uh, on some battlefield in Britain, so uh, you know Cornwell uses the characters and the and the, the timelines um, and the places, but he obviously has to heavily reimagine what might have happened. And right, so he, he call it. himself a historical fiction writer then. Is what That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you you just recommend um, that King Arthur series? I would recommend that heavily. Okay. I mean that it's it's terrific if you like. It's the King Arthur story, but it's 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 been tweaked and changed in many places. Um, uh -huh. For example, Lan Lancelot is very unlikable in this particular series, and you know I've always Cornwell hated says, his, "Yeah, <laughs> well, he's he's actually not it, the Lancelot you know from the, the yeah from <laughs> the book." He's a real bastard. I mean, he's cheating on his best friend's. You know, he's cheating on his best friend, and then he's like lying to his face. But the the, 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 the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> the trilogy trilogy is actually takes place in what uh, historians think was the if if there was a real Arthur and there's some debate about whether or not there there was one but a lot mm -hmm. of compelling evidence shows that there may have been. It takes place in uh, the fifth century A.D., which is you know if he did exist, they think that's the time frame he might have lived in and. So it's historically accurate to that period. So you don't have knights, you know, in, in full plate armor riding around, and and uh, it's you know they're wearing, it's it's uh, the whole shield wall, uh, spear fighting, um, you know, guys with leather armor and and or chainmail armor, and it's 
it's very accurate to that period. It's, it's got the filthy conditions of the period and the and the the, the disease that was common and. Uh, it's got the whole druidic angle. Uh, Merlin's actually a druid in these books. It, it's it's really it's a it's a great blend of the, the Arth, Arthurian myths plus the history of that period. And, Interesting. Uh, and what's I, the it, what's the first look around online? The first book now you put me on the spot is the oh, Winter sorry. King. The Winter King. Okay. The Winter King. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely look those up. It sounds. Have you seen the the two um, King Arthur movies that came out in the last? decade um, yeah I'm not I, yeah the Clive Owen one was which which tries to reimagine him as a, a post-roman general yep and you're not a big fan not particularly I I, I, I like some of the, the you know some of the battle scenes were pretty good in it but overall not not so much there was another I don't one know. as well um, uh, that I'm not recalling the name of but I, I watched the King Arthur one um, it's called King Arthur, and it's got Clive Owen as Arthur. Um, I thought that was all right. Mm. Uh, uh, Ian Griffith, the guy from, uh, uh, he was on the Hornblower uh, TV series or movies, um, played Lancelot. Yep. Well, I, I, I think I it was. They were pretty good, actually, uh, given that there's not really been any good of King Arthur since uh, Excalibur. I was going to say, Ex Excalibur set the bar too high for me, I think, because I, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's one of the greatest movies ever made, so. <laughs> yeah. So I guess in comparison, yeah. And I'm thinking of that it's Richard Gere one, Robin. too, the first night, which was pretty well, lousy. That was that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Just because, you know, he, he's Richard Gere is not the man to play King Arthur. Yeah. Or I'm still waiting for the, uh, I'm still waiting for a, a great adaptation of, like, Mallory's tale, um, Lamort d'Arthur, and I'd, I'd love to see a great uh, adaptation of that done one of these days. We'll see. I was hoping with the success of the Lord of the Rings that it might happen. Is there an audiobook version out there that would do a good job with it? There should be, given it's public domain. Yeah, I, I thought I saw one maybe on, on LibriVox or one of those sites that they had, it possibly had part of it on there or... Uh, the problem with LibriVox is if it's not uh, one narrator, I probably don't want to listen to one. If it's, if it's five different guys reading one book, it's just the chances are you're not going to like one of them, and you might want to even stop halfway through yep. listening to it. So you have to be. Uh, that's why I like their short story collections because if you get one bad one, you just say skip this, I'll move on to the next one, and they'll re-release it uh, as a short story uh, with a different narrator, probably if it's a science fiction or fantasy story. By the way, while you guys were talking there, I, I looked up to see if The Winter King had a audio version, and it mm -hmm. does, but it's abridged. Oh. Yeah, um, it doesn't tell me how long the abridgment is, but it's from Audio Renaissance back in 1997. Mm, that probably means it's shorter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> audio Renaissance is going to be uh, hard to get if it's from audio. Well, maybe... It's not still in their catalog of uh, no, it's McMillan, not. is it? It's not in the catalog. They don't have any new. Uh, Amazon has nine used copies. Mm. Um, look for uh, Chivers' version. Um, oftentimes, uh, Chivers, the UK publisher we now call BBC Audiobooks America, uh, would have a an unabridged library version versus the 
American um, uh, commercial release version. LibriVox, ah, sorry, um, Chivers or uh, Isis, one of the UK library publishers, often have uh, British authors in Unabridged. Mm. Uh, look on Abe if you can't find. Uh, I just went. I went to Amazon UK, and I'm just seeing what they've got here. That's pretty reliable too. Yeah, ISIS unabridged. There you go. Yep. Now, um, it getting looks a like copy. It's, it's also out of print. They don't have any new ones. Um, getting a copy is going to be the hard part. Yeah. But if you if you look on Abe, um, you use the ISBN there. You, mm -hmm. You'll have good luck. Um, okay. And you can always look on eBay if you have to. Uh, but ISIS is really hard to get on eBay. ISIS is um, a UK publisher that it's like not super well distributed. It's basically I I think UK libraries. Okay. Interesting. Not that I need, yeah, and not that I need another audiobook right this minute. <laughs> Can add that to your list. Yeah, we'll put that uh, put that in there. Yeah, it's Cornwell's uh, actually Cornwell's actually more famous for his line of Sharp series, which was. Yeah. Like Napoleonic yeah, well, Wars. Napoleonic. Okay, I was wondering what Sharp was. I've seen those. You know. I've seen the the TV share, series. Scott. Me? No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I love that. I love that TV series. Uh, only problem with it is is it's a little under budget. So you'd see columns of uh, British troops that are you know twenty guys long instead of you know <laughs> thousands or you know. You see uh, endless uh, Napoleonic troops. Look, there's thousands of them, and then you see seven guys. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the series, but I, I, oh, I have heard it's highly it. regarded. You'll and it's got, it. um, what is it, Sean Bean is, is Sean Bean's sharp? Sean Bean's yeah. Um, they, they have a, a bunch of other actors. I mean, part of the problem is is uh, you've got, it's as a series of TV characters uh, m most of them don't get killed off which they really should if it's a more realistic story you know yeah uh, given that they're foot soldiers but um a few of them get killed off here and there and, and then sometimes they'll have uh you know the guy who played uh wellesley um the duke of wellington changed after i guess the first or second uh show but yeah it's it's an amazing series um in fact i i tried to uh, get into the books based on the series because there were some that were not done uh, as uh, movies um, and I thought oh I'll, I'll try try some of these um, you know it's a sharp story but it's uh, the first the first ones that are set in India are actually were written later hmm. uh, so sharp is a sergeant uh, and in the movie versions, which they've just started doing after 10 years, uh, they're actually set after. Um, so Sharp's, you know, a colonel and retired, and he's just, just got a few more missions to do in India. Um, they're actually filmed in India, which was pretty cool, too. Hmm. Hmm. Those, uh, there's, like, been two or three of those since uh, the show was on 10 years ago, or movies were on 10 years ago. It's on uh, Masterpiece Theater, I believe. In the states, yeah. Being well, being more of a fantasy fan, I was always drawn to uh, Cornwell's other material. Um, mm -hmm. he, he did a story about a, a, a trilogy about the Grail, which was set in uh, 15th century, uh, 14th century England. Um, 
and some of the you know the battles and with the uh, the French against the English and the English and the might of the English longbow. If you like that, if you like that type of, that that period of history, I recommend those. I think it was called the I don't, Grail, Grail Quest series. I believe it was called. It was a trilogy that he did. He's he's written some great stuff. He's a very very prolific author. He's probably written I don't know a dozen or more of the Sharp series. Which again, I haven't I, I haven't read, but I've read a lot of his other more medieval medieval flavored stuff. Oh, sounds good. I definitely want to check him out. Yep. While I'm waiting for the next Song of Ice and Fire book, I I ought to throw something in there. <laughs> well, you could be waiting a while. I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, it's been a while <laughs> so it, far. It has been a while, and, and you know, there's there's been a lot of chatter on the internet about it, and some guys uh, are, are kind of up in arms about it. Others are get kind of defensive of of um, George R. R. Martin, and sure. I'm I'm kind of in the middle. It's just I, I I understand it's a creative process and yeah people and write at their own he's pace. He's got a heck of a lot of things going on too. So. He does, yeah. But oh, the problem is I, I shorter stuff. He did. No, I I, I find myself currently I find myself just forgetting a lot of the uh, the, the yeah. characters and a lot of the events. I mean that this the series is so long now that there's there's, there's a lot of plot lines. There's a lot of characters and. Mm-hmm. Now now it's to the point where when a Dance with Dragons comes out, I'm gonna have to do some rereading because I I don't remember yeah. honestly a lot of the stuff that happened. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I'm st- I'm still gonna read it when it comes oh, out. Oh yeah, and I will too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like I'm upset about it, but um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna buy it and definitely gonna read it. So keep writing, yeah. George. <laughs> Stop listening. Get back to the typewriter. Mm-hmm. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>